You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. All right, today we're going to uh, continue our series, The God I Never Knew. Uh, excited about this. We Last week, I, used, I, I shared from a story of Jesus going to a place called Galilee to reach uh, the earliest of his disciples, Philip and Andrew, and, uh, and then the man named Nathaniel uh, had an encounter with Jesus as uh, Jesus kind of revealed his, his heart for him, said, I, I knew you when, when you were called uh, by Philip. And we looked at that last week. I want to share a similar, uh, but an Old Testament example of a God encounter, because just like Nathaniel, Daniel was unaware of Jesus and kind of discovered something new about God. You know, Jesus, the Bible says of Jesus that, you know, he's the image of the invisible God. So how do you see and recognize a God that you can't see? Well, well, we look at Jesus. We just need to look no further than Jesus to know the heart of God, the character of God, uh, the love of God that's expressed towards us uh, through what Jesus has done uh, for us. And uh, this story in Genesis 28, we're going to read just three verses from this part of the story. And I've, I've shared the fuller story before. Uh, but it's a moment where a man has an encounter with God that's very personal. Uh, and it's, it, as I mentioned, I think it was last week, that faith has to be personal. Uh, faith isn't just what somebody else can do uh, on my behalf, but faith has to, God wants you personally to experience and know him. Uh, Abraham was this man's grandfather. Isaac was his father. And they both had a relationship with God. But now Jacob, in a moment of really just a personal crisis, he's on the run. He's away from his family. Uh, and, and he falls asleep after a long day of running, of, of being alone, and, and really just trying to get as far away from his home as he can. Uh, he lays down on the ground, puts his head on a rock, and falls asleep. And while he's asleep, God shows up. See, while he was running from something, God was running towards him. And it's no different for you and for me. God's always in pursuit of you. He's always after us, whether we know it or not, whether we've recognized it or not. And uh, the title, if you're taking notes, uh, comes from the next thing that he says as he wakes up. And I believe that God is waking people up to the reality of who he is in our lives. We need God. We need, we need not what religion can tell us about God, not the greatest ideas and philosophies that man can come up with about God, but we need to have the reality of the presence and person of God experienced in our own lives. That's what God is after. Heaven came down through Jesus to reach us, to save us, to set us free. As Leslie talked about, redeem us to God. But as we sang also about his presence, God's presence is a reality that most people live their lives completely unaware of. And here's what Jacob says. He wakes up and he says, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. Jacob, in that moment, he actually has a dream. God reveals himself and said, I was the God of your father, your grandfather. I was, I was the God of Abraham and I want to be your God too. And in that encounter, he, he, he has this dream but that moment was so impactful, he wakes up, and, and it was more than a dream. He recognizes this is a God moment, and he says, the Lord is in this place. That's the title of this message, is God is in this place. There's something that happens when we recognize, see, God is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go apart from his presence. You can't outrun him. You can't 
get a plane ticket to the furthest point in the world and get away from him, as Jonah found out. You can't, you can't escape, but that's not a bad thing because God, his presence is everywhere we need to be. Uh, in fact, there's, the, I, I mentioned last week, I talked about the, the new space telescope, I forgot that they had already launched it like the next day, they released the pictures. <laughs> and, the, and you can look at the furthest points of creation and God's there. Our God is bigger, our God is greater. But I want you to understand something. While God is, as, as theologians would describe, omnipresent, God's present everywhere, he's not known or experienced everywhere. And in this moment, Jacob wakes up. Have you ever had something happen while you were sleeping that you were totally unaware of? Uh, any heavy sleepers besides me? I've gotten better as I've gotten older. Something about having three kids constantly waking you up all through your life. And now a dog doing the same. Uh, that, that just kind of caused you to wake up. But when I was a teenager, I could sleep through just about anything. In fact, I, to my knowledge, I've at least slept through two, maybe three or four earthquakes. Uh, where I, I grew up more towards the West Coast, and we would get more aftershocks. But by my family, I'd wake up, and they're like, man, did you feel that earthquake this morning? And No, I was asleep. <laughs> I was a teenager. Um, and, and, and that's just something that when we're, when we're unconscious, we're unaware, you could have something happening right around you. Is anybody who's ever been to youth camp and been pranked before knows? You can have all kinds of things happening around you, and, you know, but, but not be aware of it. And that's how a lot of people, unfortunately, live their lives. They're asleep to the reality of the very person and presence of God that's available for them. I've got three points today. The very first one is God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. Jacob said, the Lord's in this place, and I had no idea. I did not know it. Paul the Apostle one day gets up to, he goes to a city called Athens, and there, uh, there, uh, They've got all kinds of temples dedicated to different gods in the Greek pantheon and different, they have Zeus and they have Athena and Apollo and all these different statues and they've got different gods for different things. Uh, but as, as he's walking around, Paul notices something that's very different. Uh, he sees an image and underneath that image it says, to the unknown God. And, and I want to read this to you, Acts 17. He gets up to preach to a group of people that uh, they're, they're, they're kind of the, uh, the educational elite of the day. They're the philosophers. They're the teachers. They're discussing new ideas. And they invite Paul to tell them uh, about what he's, he's come with his message, which we know is the message of Jesus. And as he begins to talk to them, he references this image that he's seen. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Do you know it's possible to be very religious and still miss God? He says, I see you're very religious. For as I walked around, he says, you're spiritually minded. For as I walked around, looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Like here, here's, here's the Greeks. They're, they're so concerned that they'll miss one. They've got a statue. They've got gods for different things, but they have a statue that they call the unknown God. They say, this is to the unknown God. We want to cover, cover all our bases, just in case we missed one. And, and Paul says, that God you worship without even knowing, that's who I'm talking to you about. And here's where the Greeks are. They're trying to cover all their bases. They're trying to, and unfortunately today, sometimes we try to do that. We have just enough of Jesus, but mixed in with a lot of other things to try to cover all our bases. But here's the truth. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can set free. And, and, and he's, he's walking through 
seeing all these statues and images that are made by the hands of a man. And people today may not always worship images and statues, but we still lift up in the place of God philosophies and arguments and agendas and and all kinds of things in the world and sometimes even our own self-interest. We put in the place of God. And I know that everybody alive is actually a worshiper, even those that don't believe in God, because you're created to be a worshiper. The issue isn't if you worship, it's what you worship. And Paul here says, go on, he begins to describe this unknown God that they've never recognized or discovered. He says, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything that's in it. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. In fact, one of the attributes of God is he's the only self-existent person. Everything in life comes from something. Everything in life is created or fashioned by him. And here's what he says. He gives life and breath to everything else, but there's nothing I can give God that makes him stronger, that makes him smarter, that, that adds anything to what he can already do. He says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the, earth, the whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their dwelling. In other words, God placed us where he wants us. And uh, have you ever said, why in the world, God, am I in this crazy place? Or with these crazy people? None of you. Good. It was just for a service. Have you ever said, why in the world am I in this crazy family? You know, just, just read the book of Genesis, by the way, if you think your family's a little crazy. You'll be really encouraged. Um, but you know, God, it says this, that he's, he's called us, he's marked out something for us. He has a plan for us. And here's what it is. He has a plan for every person alive. Those that know him and those that don't yet know him. And here's what he says. This is how God's arranged. And, and this is why God's appointed our times and places. God placed you in this time in history for a purpose. It's not an accident. You're here. God did this, verse 27, so that they, that's us, would seek him. God's inviting every person created by him to seek him, to know him, to experience him. And he says, perhaps even reach out for him and find him. See, the reason why people can have religion without God is it's the activity of seeking without finding. But God is after the finding. He wants you to actually find. He says, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. There's something that God is inviting every single person to and it's to know God for themselves. He's closer than you think. And verse 28 says that. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, he's, just, he's contrasting the God that we worshiped with the God that these Greeks and philosophers and, and, and the Athenians worshiped because they had statues made by their hands. They had gods they could fashion in their image instead of a God who's made them in his. And Paul declares that, and he says, I want you to know, and, he, and then he tells them about Jesus and the resurrection. But here's, here's, here's three things. Uh, we tend to have three responses, I believe, to the presence of God in our lives. First is to ignore it. First is just to be, ignore it or be indifferent towards it. Be indifferent to the reality of God. The second is to resist it, to fight against it, to push God away, to know he's there but choose a different direction. And I think in, in a lot of ways, we kind of do a little bit of both of those. Whenever we run from God, I did for many years. I, I pushed God away when he was still after me. I'm so thankful that God never gave up on me 
I'm thankful that he never gave up on you. He pursues us even when we're running. Uh, there's, there's something that happens when we become indifferent, though, that we, we, we miss. Just like, think of this, Jacob is in this place and is totally unaware of the presence of the Creator. The one who formed the heavens and the earth has come close, and yet he then awakens and realizes God's here. God's in this place. He's close. He's not distant. He's not far. And I wonder how many of us live our lives totally disconnected and unaware of the presence of God. You know, it started in a garden when man sinned and fell and shame entered in and man began to hide from God. And too many people run from God instead of run to him. We hide. We're afraid to go to God. In fact, the very thought of going to God terrifies us because we, we, we recognize that he's holy. But you know, Jesus came to redeem us, to, to, to bridge the gap so that you and I could approach God. And as a believer in Jesus, you have access to the throne of God, and he's not a million miles away. I don't know if you've ever done this as a Christian, but in, sometime in prayer, I'll, I'll picture God like on a throne a, a thousand trillion light years away in heaven instead of recognizing he's right here. He's not far. He's close. Jesus came here. And then when he ascended to heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit later in the series. But he poured out the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives, available for every one of us, and yet so many times we don't respond and recognize he's right there. Uh, as Christians, we can be practical atheists. Yes, we believe in God, but we treat him like he's not there. Maybe just six days a week. I, I, I had to preteens in my car the other day driving to youth on Wednesday and we had like a five minute now normally they're very loud and talkative but there was about a five minute window where nobody said anything and I'm like why are you not talking <laughs> I even said that because that's what dads do we make uncomfortable situations even more uncomfortable but I said no no and it wasn't because there was a problem they were just you know they're boys they had nothing to say and, but I think sometimes we're like that even with God. Like, we'll, we'll go an hour in the car without even saying a word in prayer, without even talking to God. We're recognizing he's there. And, and again, we think that, okay, we, we think that God's distant, but God's in this place. God's present. He's available. And if God is here, anything's possible. Do you know as the church, I, I, I think this is important. We define the church the way God does. So, so right after he says, the Lord's in this place, then he says, this is none other than the house of God. Now, if you look in Genesis 28, there's no building, there's no steeple, there's no, there's no doors and seeing all the people, or seeing who's paying attention, um, there's none of that. All there is, all there is, is Jacob and the person and presence of God in that moment. And this is actually the first mention in the entire Bible of that phrase, the house of God. And if you want to understand the house of God throughout the Bible, all the way to the days of the church, you have to understand the first ingredients, the most essential things, because if the church is anything, and, and, and all the things that we do are good, and all the things that we add and, and have, even in the, the New Testament, the activities of the church are important, but we can't miss what's at the heart of the church. It has to be the presence of God. Point number two is this. You were created to be the dwelling place of God. You're meant to be the dwelling place of God. That's, that's point two if you're taking notes. You were meant to be the dwelling place of God. 
So, so God's looking for, God's looking for a place to dwell. Now, now, we already read how he doesn't live in buildings made with hands, temples made with hands. We see in the Old Testament, God in the, in the center of the camp of Israel in the tabernacle and then later in the temple of Solomon. But God's design and intention was never to be in one place, in one building, but to be among his people and to live in his people. Now, he had to send Jesus to make a way for him to dwell on the inside of us. You know what the New Testament says? You, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? Isn't that amazing? I, I, I don't think, do we, do we have that reference? 1 Corinthians 3.16? That, that, that Paul actually says that. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? I, I wonder how many of us live our lives without even knowing something that's that simple, that's that profound? Like, as a believer in Jesus, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. How should that not affect the way you view life, view the world? And then for us as the church, what's the church? It's the people of God, the redeemed who say so. He's purchased us. He's saved us. He's, he's, pull, he's called us out. Do you know the word church? Jesus used it twice. It's used 77 times in the New Testament. Jesus uses it twice. One of them is dealing with conflict with people. Because I know it's hard to picture that there would be conflict with people in church. The other one was when he talked to Peter. And he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know what the church is? That word church in, in the Greek means literally the called out ones. You've been called out by God. You've been saved by God. You've been redeemed by God for him and for his purpose. And he actually describes in Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, and, but now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're a part of a family having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, talking about the church, all of us, he says, in whom you also are being built together. God's bringing us together for a purpose, and here's what it is, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you know the church gathers around programs, activities, and none of that's bad in and of itself, but if we don't gather around the person. We've missed the point. There's nothing for Jacob but the presence of God in that place. That's what defined it as the house of God. I don't want us to miss the person and presence of God. I don't want us to miss Jesus. He's the, he's the point. He's what the church gathers around. He's what we follow. And, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is what changes us. And as we gather together, I, that's why I always have an expectation when we gather, not just to have a service, but to have people's lives being countered by God. That's my prayer. That's our prayer as a team. That's why we invite people for prayer at the end of service. Because we want people to have an encounter with the reality of this God we're talking about. Everything can change. We've seen marriages healed in this room. We've seen lives transformed in this room. We've seen people who are far from God. I told you last week, how my favorite thing to hear as a pastor is when people say, I've known that person my whole life. I never thought they would come to God. That's what God, God specializes in that stuff. That's what he loves to do. Number three is where I want to focus the rest of our time on. See, God's presence isn't just in my life for my life. 
<laughs> God's presence in your life makes you a world changer. Now, now for some people, that's hard to hard to, to capture or grab a hold of because we're so used to having the way we view our life shaped by the world around us or by our family history or by our own pain or by the mistakes we've made and we shape our, identi- our identity and value and, and all of that based on the wrong information. 1 John 4.4. 4. If you get no other verse that I give you today, get this. John says, we have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Like that, that one verse, I know it's, it's quoted a lot in church, but I wonder how much it's believed in church. That was a really good point, Brian, I think. Yeah, I agree. I'm just going to encourage myself today. First uh, John 4.4 Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I, I, I just, I don't, if you knew who was with you and you knew what was on the inside of you as a believer in Jesus, and it's not just that, you know, your cute self. It's that you've been given the presence and power of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of you, Jesus Christ himself, the hope of glory. If you knew what you and I had, oh, it'd affect everything about the way you see the world. It'd affect everything about the way you see your problems and the way you see your God-given purpose. (laughs) It's possible, I believe, to be like Jacob who's completely unaware that God was in that place, he said, and I didn't know it. It's equally possible that the greater one can be on the inside of you and you not know it. And live your life not recognizing you're called to face giants. You're called to see nations discipled. You're called to see your family transformed. You're called to see North Iowa changed. Whatever it is, Let's make it real personal. You're called to see your family raised in the things of God. I mean, it's an onslaught, but that's never what defines our response. The greater one lives in you. Whatever is born of God, John says later, or actually I think it's maybe in the previous chapter, he says, he says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So if you have Jesus, you're by nature an overcomer. I meet Christians all the time who are discouraged, who are thrown in the towel, but they're basing their life, their faith, their confidence on wrong information. Greater is he who's in you. I mean, the devil's been trying to stop the church for 2,000 years. He still can't. Lots of people have tried. Lots of, <laughs> lots of forces have been at work, but everywhere the enemy tries to stop it, the greater one goes to work. I want you to see this. First uh, Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. This is a familiar story, but I, I, I can't think of a better one to illustrate what I'm talking about. David, we've been talking a lot about David in different parts of his life, but uh, David was, at this point, a young man. I talked about Samuel, God sending Samuel to call him a couple weeks ago. 
the next major event of David's life that we see is his confrontation with Goliath. It's the most familiar. At the very least, those of you who grew up in church know Dave and the giant pickle. There we go. Uh, and and so, so here's, here's the story. David, David's a young man, and his dad, there's a battle going on, and his, his brothers are involved in the fight. They're, they've joined the army of Israel. And so his dad sends him with lunch. He doesn't send David to fight in the battle. He's too young. He's not qualified in his dad's eyes still. But he's a young man, so he sends him to go bring macaroni and cheese to his brothers. That's what I think he brought. Anyway, so, so David shows up to the battlefield, and here's what, what the battlefield is described as. 1 Samuel 17, 10. Uh, there's a Philistine named Goliath. He's the champion. He's, he's going before the Israelites. And the Philistine, Goliath said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man, just one. Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul's the king. So, so Saul has gathered his troops. He's got the best that Israel has to offer. You know, and, and here's this enemy, this giant, Goliath. And here's what he says, I defy. <laughs> Isn't that just like the enemy in your life? To defy God's promise, God's word, who he's created and called you to be. And he says, I just want one. Just give me one. Israel's response, to be greatly afraid. You know, fear has been weaponized against the church, against the world. But, but here's what happens. For 40 more days, Goliath shows up every day, curses and mocks God and his people. And David shows up. He's got his macaroni and cheese for his brothers. And he shows up and he hears Goliath doing this. And David's a young man. He's, he's, from a natural standpoint, not qualified to fight Goliath. But David has been with God. David's life and the way he saw life was shaped more by the presence of God than anything else. Because when, when he was by himself, he wasn't alone. He was actually with God. And he, he was a shepherd. He would take care of his dad's sheep. And while he's there, he's worshiping. And he's, he's writing psalms like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to lack. Why? Because he's the one that feeds me. He's the one that provides for me. If we would remember that in every season, he's still our source. He's still our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. His view of life was shaped by who his God was. You know this. So I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though my circumstances look bad, you're with me. I will not be afraid. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then, and then my favorite part of the psalm, do you know what it is? It's when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God doesn't just bring you through the dark. He doesn't just bring you through the fight. He doesn't just bring you through the tough season. Then he makes a buffet right in front of the devil to try to mess with you. <laughs> uh, well, I, 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 thought, I thought God was going to get rid of my enemies. No, no, he's setting the table. I, I thought God was just going to, when I prayed, the problem was going to just disappear. Well, sometimes that happens, but sometimes God goes, let's have a picnic. 
and let me feed you and let me sustain you and let me show you how good I am in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fight, right in front of the thing that tried to stop you, right in front of the thing that tried to take you out. I'm your healer. I'm your provider. I'm your source. And God shows David those things. David finishes it. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How could somebody say that unless they first been preoccupied with the person and presence of God. He shows up to the battle. Again, young man, you're never too young or too old to be used by God. You're not. (laughs) My my favorite testimonies were from a five-year-old that was in our church years ago in Arizona that was like a walking miracle machine. Everywhere he went, he'd pray for people. Just, you know, he wasn't waiting for revival to come to him. He was bringing it wherever he'd go. And, and I, I've seen people that think, man, I'm, I'm too old, it's too late. And I'm, you know, no, no, no. Caleb was just getting started at 80. So, so no matter what your season is, he, he, he comes to the battlefield and here's what it says. The Philistine drew near and presented himself, verse 16, for 40 days, morning and evening, And then verse 23, as he talked with them, as David talked to them and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? They talked with them. There was the champion. He shows up, Goliath by name, coming up uh, from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. Now watch what it says in verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. David heard it. They heard it. But they fled. I think, you know, I know that we know the story. You know David and Goliath. Even people who have never been to church, never read the Bible, we all know the David and Goliath story. But, but what I, I think is so important about this story is that I don't think David was the only person that God could have used to take out Goliath. I don't think he was the only person. I just think he was the only person willing to show up to a fight everyone was called to. As the church, we lose 100% of the battles we don't show up to. Wherever, wherever we don't use what God's placed in us to lead in our families, to reach our kids, to, to see our marriages made whole, to reach our communities, where we don't show up, we give the enemy access to dictate the outcome when he was never meant to. Greater is he that's in you. Watch what David does. He's, he's, he says, hey, this, this guy's un, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. In case you're wondering, he's not concerned about his personal hygiene. Some of you will get that in a minute. He says that because Goliath didn't have a covenant with God, is mocking the God of Israel, but every Israelite does have a covenant with God, has a relationship with God. And yet, King Saul, from the top to the bottom, every one of the Israelites are hiding. And so they bring David, and Saul does what anybody who lets fear be disguised as wisdom uh, David, you got to stop it. You're, you're, you're talking crazy. Um, that guy's really tough. You're just a kid. <laughs> and David says something that I think is important for us right now. David says, no, no I, I discovered something about God, my shepherd. When I was taking care of my dad's sheep, you know, that's my, that's my part-time job. I would take care of my dad's sheep. And one day a lion shows up. And another day, a bear shows up. And in both of those cases, God 
helped me and I killed the lion and I killed the bear. Now, now, most of us are in one of two places in life. We're either fighting a lion right now or we've already just got out of fighting a lion. But we don't realize that fighting the lion and the bear in our life, in our personal life, in our family is actually a dress rehearsal for a giant. And he says, I learned something there about God that lets me know this Goliath will be just like them. And you know what he does? He picks out five smooth stones. He goes out and he faces Goliath. And Goliath mocks him, curses him. You know what David says? You come to me with a spear and your sword and your shield and all your impressive weaponry. But you know what I come with? In the name of the Lord, I'm here. You have the name of Jesus, church. You have the presence of God, church. The presence of God makes you a world changer because greater is he that's in you. And that may sound intimidating, like world changer, but, but, but you know what? Your life, there's people that need what, they, they need what God's deposited in you. People need the breakthrough that you overcame. God brought you through. You were given a diagnosis and, and God walked you through that and, and gave you victory over that thing and healed you and restored you. And you thought it was just about God saving you in that moment. But maybe, just maybe, God was bringing you through that because there's a giant in somebody else's life that you're called to take down. I, I believe this is the day for the church to face some giants. It's what you're called to. We're not called to hide like the Israelites. We're called to recognize, be more aware. See, see, world changers are less concerned with the problems they face because they're more aware of the solution they carry, and that's Jesus. You have a solution. You have an answer. Maybe you're fighting the line right now. That line looks like addiction. It, it, it looks like hurt that you've carried. It looks like a broken relationship. It looks like a conflict you're doing, whatever it is. But, but you're going to overcome that through God's help because greater is he who's in you. And if you've already passed that, God's given you that personal victory in that area, realize it wasn't just about that because his presence isn't just in your life for you. It's also about a giant that's got your name on it. If we would just know that our marriages our kids, there's no, our businesses, our jobs, none of that is insignificant. But every place where an enemy shows up, we're called to face it. I want you to do this. If you'd stand to your feet, ask our prayer team to come. If we could put 1 John 4, 4 back up, please. I want you to recognize what this says. And I'm gonna say this, and then I want you to say it out of your own mouth. And maybe you need to say this every day until you believe it. 
we've, we've allowed the Goliaths of our life, the wrong voices in our life, to strip of our, of our identity, of our authority in Jesus, of our purpose. One of the biggest questions I get asked is, you know, what's God's will for my life? What's my purpose? It's a great question. And where and how God's going to work that out, he'll show you and he'll lead you and he'll speak to that. But you know what I know everybody's purpose is? Jesus actually says this, for this purpose he came, to destroy the works of the devil. So, so mama, changing that diaper, raising those world changers. There's some Goliaths, but what you've got is greater than any of the rest of that. Every one of us, like you're just business owners trying to make ends meet. Yeah, whatever it is, whatever you're facing right now, maybe just in your own life, you're just walking through, you're trying to deal with stuff. And you think, I don't know if I can make it through this. This is what determines the outcome, not Goliath, not the problem, not what you're facing. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I, I want you to do something before we, before I have you, I'm gonna pray this over you. But would you just bow your heads for a second? Close your eyes. We won't be much longer, but I wanna ask you a very important question. Because the key to all of this is the person of Jesus, is the presence of God in your life. He pursues you. Let's not be indifferent towards God. Let's not resist him. Let's pursue him back. Let's seek him. Let's receive from God. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what I've talked about today is not a religion. It's not a program. It's a person. It's a relationship with the one who loves you more than anyone ever will, who's called you by name, who has a purpose for your life. You're not here by accident. You're here because God created you and sent Jesus to save you. Sin separates us from God. We can live our whole life pursuing things that are so much less than what we're created for. But if you don't have a relationship with God, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And it starts with a yes to Jesus. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.